You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. If you're watching at home, if you're watching at the house because of health concerns, we're praying for you. If you're watching at the house out of habit, we're praying for you to come back to this house because we miss you, we love you, and we got room for you. We're starting some more services around here to open up more space, uh, and I love that. So next week is Easter. We're doing, we're doing five services, so we've got Saturday night at 5 and 6.30, and Sunday we're doing 9, 10.30, and 12. And if you're a core family, you know who you are. Let me say something to our core families. I'm asking you for, for some help. I'm asking you to come to one of the Saturday night services or the 12, and I'm asking you to come to one of those to free up some space in our other services. I'm also asking you to serve with us next weekend. Help us set the table for people to come and experience the goodness of God and the grace of God. Easter is a time where, where many people feel more comfortable coming to church. We're making more space uh, next Easter so people can feel comfortable um, in our environment. And I'm asking our core family to be a part of setting the table for those uh, to come in and experience that. So you can see us at the Welcome Center, and we will get you hooked up. Uh, we need help in every area. And, uh, and, and I'm just going to give a quick construction update. We, there's a high probability, y'all, that we will have the children's space open for Easter. So I'm excited about that. Be praying for that. Yes. Um, <clears throat> We've got, we've got a dynamic construction crew, man. They are awesome. They are staying on it, and they are just there working hard. And so it's just amazing how much is coming together uh, this week. And this week is the week before Easter. It's Holy Week or Passion Week, as you might have heard it. And there's a lot happening um, this week. And, and, and there's a lot of things that happen that we don't always get the opportunity to see. This last week, Heather and I took a little vacation. We've done something we've never done before. Uh, we, used, we used a travel trailer to go down to the coast, and it was awesome. It was incredible. But there were so many times that Heather and I looked at each other and thought, God is definitely doing something that we don't see, because the decisions we were making and, and how everything turned out, that we, we were sitting around the fire one night, and I said, can you imagine how much is going on in heaven and the spiritual battle going on for us to have the week we're having? Because it was just amazing, the providence of God. I mean, even things like she gets out of the truck and sees a nail in the tire, and that, that saves us from an issue on the side of the highway. You know, and there's all, many, all these different things. What we don't realize a lot of times in our life is that, that the scripture says that there's war in the heavenlies, that there's this battle going on in the heavenly realms and the spiritual realm that we don't always get to see. But heaven is fighting on our behalf, that there, that there are... There, there, God has a purpose and a plan, and he's constantly fighting and battling for us. That's exactly what we see happening during Holy Week. There's so much going on that we don't see. We see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We see Jesus going through his final week of earthly ministry, him going to the cross, laid in a tomb, and on Easter Sunday, he's, he rises again. But everything that was going on that we don't see is amazing what's happening in the spiritual realm. And, and, and I wanna kind of look at, at, at Palm Sunday and Jesus entering Jerusalem from, from that context. And, and there's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of expectation on Jesus as he's coming into, into Jerusalem. <clears throat> and um, we deal with expectations differently, right? I mean, we, we come in like <laughs> in relationships where we see re expectations out of sync creates a lot of issues, I mean, we, we, that's how we end up with disappointment, right? 
You know, if we expect something and we don't line up our expectations with the other person, we, we got an issue. And we're going to see that happen a little bit. And, and my hope for us is that we get to a point today of laying down our expectations in front of Jesus and saying, you, you have your way. You do what you want in my life. I'm submitting to you, not asking you to submit to me. And this is what, this is what the scene looks like. <clears throat> now, when Jesus, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt tied with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. I used to read this and get a little bit, I thought it was a little funny, honestly, because Jesus is sending the disciples. He said, go, you're gonna find a donkey and a colt. Go untie them. If the owner comes out, says, what are you doing with my donkey? You know, I, when, I, when I read this, I think of like, I don't know, maybe like a, an old farmer coming out, you know, big long white beard and double bear shotgun. You know, what are you boys doing with my donkey? You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe when you read it, that's what you'll think of now. But, but I, I thought the owner comes out, what are you doing? And they say, Jesus needs him. And he goes, oh, okay. I mean, that, that's never worked in my life, right? But as I was reading this, God was just really showing me what's really happening here that the owner had already given that to God. He'd already said, all that I have is yours, God. Everything I have, you use it the way you need to use it. So when they showed up, it wasn't, what are you doing with my stuff? He's seeing, this is the fulfillment of me already saying, God, use me, use whatever I have. And a lot of times we, we get to that point where we're like, God, you can have everything but this, or you can have all of me. And then when he doesn't use it the way we expect him to use it, then we get a little disappointed and we start to take it back, right? I mean, th- this is an important principle of giving. And I know a lot of us get uncomfortable. We all got some kind of baggage of growing up in church, or even if you didn't grow up in church, you got some kind of idea about church and giving or church and money. And when we launched the church, this, this week was 11 years uh, for our anniversary, 11 years as a church. We planted it 11 years ago. It's awesome. <clears throat> We've gotten to see. I got, I got tore up during baptisms because the stories and the things that we've gotten to see God do over these last 11 years blows my mind because I'm not, I, I tell God all the time, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. And he said, just let me do it. I mean, I just... My whole goal as your pastor is to stay out of God's way and just continue to let him work in us and through us. But when we launched the church, we, we kind of drew a line in the sand around giving. Because if you grew up in church, you might have heard, you know, the sermon number two, you know, while the music's playing and be like, well, let me just talk to you while you get your checkbooks ready, you know, and, and just let me, let me talk to you about the importance of giving and, you know, and, and showing, I don't know. But we just, we didn't, we don't do that because we believe our giving is done two ways. It's an act of worship and it's done in secret. It, it's, it's what God has laid on your heart. See, in, in the book of Exodus, when God was building the first tabernacle with the people of Israel, Exodus tells us that God put it on the heart of people to give. And that, that's exactly what happens. 11 years, God is He's always been sovereign and he's always showed up and I've never had to get up and beg for anything. And I refuse to do that because I don't look to people to be my source. I look to God. And when I can do that, here's what I can say. God, everything I have is yours. 
Everything that comes in comes from you and comes through you, and you, you trust us with it. That's exactly what the owner of this donkey's taken in, in, on his mind. He's saying, God, all I have is yours. You use it the way you need it. So when the disciples showed up and said, Jesus needs these, praise God, because I've already given it. I've already set it aside, and my expectation is that, God, you use it for your glory. You use it for your kingdom, and these guys showed up, and they need it. Praise God, I get to be a part of that. I mean, that's an incredible thing that we see happening. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. I love, this is a prophecy from Zechariah, and I love that he says beast of burden, because as I, as I, as I think about this, this, this donkey is carrying Jesus. Donkey's just not carrying a man. Jesus is fully God, fully man. All God, all man. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel. He is the word who became flesh. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. The one who before creation even began said, I will take on the sin of the world and I will be that sacrifice. That's the burden Jesus is carrying. That this donkey's carrying Jesus who's carrying this burden. And the burden is he's taking the weight of our sin to the cross. And think, think about the burden Jesus is carrying for a moment. It's not just, hey, I'm riding into Jerusalem, and by the end of this week, I will have paid for the world's sin. I will have provided the way for those in bondage and dead to sin and in trespass of sin and those alienated from God. I will have paid the way for them to have a relationship, a reconciled relationship with God. The other thing that's on his mind is he has always, always, always for eternity enjoyed perfect relationship with God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. That's the Trinity, the triune nature of God. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are distinct yet one, perfect in relationship. There's never been any issue in their relationship, and Jesus knows this. Here's, here's a burden that's weighing on him heavily. He knows that moment that God lays the sin of mankind on his shoulders on the cross that his father will have to look away. Because in that moment, Jesus will not have the father looking on him, but he will have the wrath and the fury of God against the sin of man taken on his shoulders. That's a burden. And this beast of burden is carrying the king of kings and the Lord of lords who's taking all that on himself. Yes, he knows by Sunday he's gonna be resurrected. He knows the plan. But even when you know the outcome is good, listen, the walk can still be tough. I mean, we, know, I mean, we, can, we can sit there and get, we can, we can pep ourselves up spiritually and go, well, I know God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to purpose. But let me tell you something, that glorification on the other side is good, but the walk can be tough because if we're gonna share in Christ's glory, listen to me, we gotta share in his sufferings. And it is a week of suffering that Jesus is riding into. And he's coming in. This is according to prophecy. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him, 
And that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What's happening is, is you've, got, you've got the anticipation and excitement building in this scene. That the disciples lay their cloaks on the donkey. Jesus gets on and as he's coming into Jerusalem, it says most of the crowd, not all, most of the crowd are laying their cloaks in front of the donkey, in front of Jesus as he's coming down. Let me, let me help you understand the, the weight of what's going on in that, that scene. In the Jewish culture, the Jewish custom, you had, you had really two things that you wore. You wore your tunic, which was your, your inside garment, your undergarment. And then you had the cloak, which was your outer robe, your outer garment. And this was used as an overcoat during the day, but this was also your warmth at night. In the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, it speaks of the cloak. It says it's an inalienable possession, which means it is the prized possession for, for, for the one who owns it. Because it is not just their way to keep warm, it's their protection at night. It's their covering at night. As a matter of fact, it was so important that, that if, if I come to you and say, hey, can I, can I borrow money and I'll give you my, my cloak as collateral and you go, all right, I'll, I'll loan you the money and I've got your collateral. When the sun goes down, I get my cloak back because you can't withhold my cloak from me overnight. Now in the morning, I'll give it back to you as collateral and while I'm working to pay you off. But at night, that's, that's what God's saying. You, you don't withhold that from them. And so what this represents as they're laying it down, this is my hope. This is my security. This is my inalienable possession. This is mine. And I have every right to it. And Jesus, I'm laying it down in front of you. This is most of the crowd. And see, the thing about faith, it's active. We're called to participate in it not just be spectators. I think about this crowd that as it goes out, you know, most are laying their cloaks down. Some are bringing palm branches and they're waving it. And, and then you got people on the fringe like, what, what's going on? What's going on? All of a sudden they hear people shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. What they're saying is save us now. Because the nation of Israel at this time is in bondage. They're, they're under the rule of the Roman Empire and they're looking for a political Messiah. They're looking for somebody to save them out of their current circumstance. And so they're saying, save us now. They're, they see him riding in. They know the prophecy. Here comes our king on the donkey. That's the one who's gonna liberate us. That's the one who's gonna save us. And they're, they're going crazy. And Jesus is riding in. And then all of a sudden, uh, they, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So I think it's interesting. You, ever, you remember the game telephone? You know, where you, you, you tell somebody something and then they tell, they tell, they tell. And, and, and one simple statement gets completely distorted at the end of the line. And, and that, that's kind of what I see happening that as, as the epicenter of the crowd around Jesus, because Jesus tells the disciple when, if he asks, if the owner of the donkey says, what, what, what are you doing on the donkey? The Lord needs him, the Lord. Jesus is Lord. And then, and then people start shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. They're saying, you're the king. You're the rightful king. You have a right to the throne of David, not just because he's the Messiah, but because he was born in the household of David, that he has a, a valid right to the throne. So they're like, you're Lord, you're king. And then as, as, it, as, it, as it goes out, they're like, that, that, that's the prophet from, from Galilee, Jesus, Nazareth. They're all true, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. He's the king of kings. 
and he is the prophet. What is a prophet? The prophets in the Old Testament spoke the word of the Lord. Jesus is the word. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And then and later down in verse 11 and 14, it says, it says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that Jesus is not just speaking the word of God, he is the very word of God himself. But what happens is as the crowd goes out, people start, start thinking different things. And that's why faith is important for us to be active in it. That Jesus says, I don't want you a part of the fringe. I want you a part of the family. I, don't, I, want, I, want, I want you to draw in. Jesus says, I, I will draw you in. You lift me up, I'll draw men unto myself. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. That, that this, this faith thing isn't something just to, for us to spectate on the fringe. It's to, for us to participate because Jesus has a purpose. And he's, as he's writing in, it's, it's important for us to understand the differences of expectations. I mean, they're shouting, save us now. They have an expectation of a political Messiah to get them out of the current situation. And when we think about the, this kind of scene, when we think about our life, okay, let's, let's bring it into our space, right? We've got to consider the source of our expectations. Who's setting the expectations in our life? I mean, when you, when, you, when you look through this and you understand what's going on in the life and the ministry of Jesus, that, that God has an expectation on this Palm Sunday. God has an expectation of what's going on. The expectation is that Jesus fulfills the plan of salvation, that this plan of salvation was set in course before the foundation of the world. That Jesus is going to go, he's going to endure the cross. He's going to lay down his life as a ransom for us. He will be raised on the third day and he will fulfill the plan of salvation to the glory of God. And so God has that expectation. Jesus has an expectation that I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to glorify my father by being obedient to his will, not mine. Jesus is later going to pray. If there's any way for this to happen without the cross, God, I'm all ears. Nevertheless, I want your will to be done over mine. So Jesus has set his expectations on pleasing the Father. The crowd has an expectation. Save us. Get us out of this situation. And that's where we start to see the followers or fans. Not just with this crowd in Scripture, but, but think, about, think about this in the context of church. I mean, God has expectations for the church. God has an expectation for you. God has an expectation for me. That, that's why we do these things called Sunday lunch. And if you're new, we have Sunday lunch today. It's just a chance to get to know us, us to get to know you. Then the next step is our journey track where you kind of step into getting involved in what's going on in the life of the church because God's expectation for the church as a family and as a body is that we connect, we grow, and we serve. Now, God's desire, his expectation is that, that his church is set in a relationship, that we're saved, we're connected with him, we're set in family, we're connected with each other, that we're set free, we're getting past our past, and we're set in motion, we're doing the work of the kingdom to the world around us. That's God's expectation for us. And a lot of times we, we get these other expectations that really don't line up with Scripture and what we should expect from church and expect from other people. And, and we walk away disappointed and we walk away hurt. And at the end of the day, when we think about our source for expectation, a lot of times we set our expectations out of our past hurts. But we've got to let the Word of God set our expectations. 
that they've got to line up with, with the word of God. If, if this crowd was really following this prophecy, that, that out of Zechariah, behold, your king is coming to you on the foal of a donkey, a beast of burden. If they're really submitted to the scripture to set their expectation, then they know what's going on. Because Zechariah, they, they, they would know Isaiah, that Isaiah is going to say, he's going to come, he's going to suffer, that the government will be on his shoulders. He's not going to be your political messiah. He's got a much bigger agenda than yours. And when I, when I look at Scripture, when I let Scripture define my expectation, that tells me what God is up to. That tells me how God is working. And when we build our expectations off of emotions and circumstances, we set ourselves up for disappointment, even disappointment with God. Because instead of us submitting to God, our hope is that He submits to us. And we start to bargain with God. We, we start, maybe it's just me. I'll just say it's just me. Sometimes I come to him and I feel like an idiot afterwards because I somehow think that my goodness unlocks God's favor. And God, I've, I've done this for you. God, I... I I walked away from this life for you. God, I was obedient to you. God, I did. You owe me something, God. And the reason I feel like an idiot, because when I, when I have to let the word redefine my expectations, I see what, what I deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve death. But thanks be to God through his mercy and his grace, he has patience on my idiocracy. And he says, let, let, let me redefine those expectations, son. I mean, even in trials, right? We set our expectations in trials. And, and when we look at the word of God, God, God doesn't lie to us. God doesn't toy with us. God doesn't, just doesn't pull us around. He doesn't play with our emotions. He's honest with us when he says, hey, in this world, there's gonna be suffering. In this world, there's gonna be times it's gonna be difficult. There's gonna be hard days. There's gonna be dark nights. There's gonna be tough moments. But, but take heart, I've overcome it. I'm doing something much bigger. And see, when we let the word of God define our expectations, then we can echo what James said. Consider it pure joy, my family, when you face trials of various kinds because we know that these trials are producing in us a maturity that we can walk with God. We can look more like Jesus. Then we can echo what Paul wrote in Romans 5 to say, I don't, I'm not gonna despise these dark days. I'm not gonna despise these trials because it's producing endurance in me. And that endurance is producing character and that character is producing hope and hope doesn't put me me to shame. And God, I know you're doing something bigger than I can see and bigger than I can expect. And what happens is I start to line up with, with the word of God. And so I don't walk through disappointed and I don't have, I, listen, my expectation isn't that Jesus fixes the situation around me. I'm saying Jesus fixed me. Because these people were saying Jesus fixed the situation. And he's saying, I've come to fix you. And listen, when, when he resets that focus in trial, when he resets that focus in pain, listen, it may not mean that this situation out here changes, but I change. And I start to see it through a lens of grace. I start to see it through a lens of like Jesus riding into Jerusalem. When he even weeps over the city, he says, how I've longed to gather you like a hen would gather her chicks under the shadow of her wing, but you would not. Let's see. Constantly, when Jesus is trying to explain these things, he's saying, why will you not listen to me? 
Even when Isaiah was frustrated at God, God responds to him. He says, Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Isaiah, Matt, for as high as the heavens are above, so are my thoughts above yours. There's things that I'm doing, Matt, that even if I tried to explain it to you, you would not understand it. So I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to take your cloak of expectations and lay it down before me so that I can do something. Because these godly expectations produce vision way beyond our current circumstance. We start to see, God, you're doing something much bigger than this. God, you're working in this. You're doing something bigger than I can understand. And that, that, those, those godly expectations, those produce life. Those produce hope. Those produce what God is doing in the eternal realm. See, if Jesus would have given in to the crowd's demands, they would have had temporary relief. Because as you read your Old Testament, what you're gonna find is that God set apart this nation of Israel, not because of their goodness, but because of his goodness. The Bible is never about how good people can be. It's about how good God is. And he sets apart this nation for him to reveal his glory and to show his mercy and his grace. And throughout the Old Testament, you see them involved in, in, in just a cycle of bad relationships. They, 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 get, they get themselves in bondage. And then God free us, save us. And God frees them and saves them. And then they endure this time and things get good and we start depending on ourselves. And all of a sudden we find ourselves back in that old habit. God save me. And it's just this cycle. And God says, I need to break that cycle in your life. I want that cycle broken because all you're looking at is your current situation. I'm in trouble, save me now. And God's saying, I'm trying to fix you for the long term. I'm, if, if Jesus gave in, they would have temporary relief from Rome. But listen, some other nation's gonna come in and overthrow it. But when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords rides into town and he takes over the rightful throne and he's seated at the right hand of the Father because of what he did through the cross and his resurrection and he's seated in glory and he has the name of Jesus which is above every name and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When that one rides into town, listen, there's no nation that can overthrow. There's no nation that can put you in bondage. There's no addiction that can hold you in bondage. There's nothing you can face because Jesus is the name above it all. And he says, I'm doing something in the eternal, not, not your temporary situation. And so I'm asking you, I'm challenging you. As we go into this week, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that we as a church feel the weight of what's going on this week. Because listen, my, 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 my hope, my job, my expectation, everything I've laid before Jesus is to see people who are going to hell saved. My job is to keep heaven roaring because when one comes to repentance, when one life is changed, there is celebrating throughout heaven because God is a good father and he's looking for us. He's waiting for his kids. He says, I've done everything to secure a place for you. And when one person gets saved, God shouts throughout heaven, this son of mine who was dead is now alive. This daughter who was lost is now found. 
Praise God. And the whole reason for the cross is celebrated again because of that resurrection, because Jesus riding in on a donkey and people laying their expectations before Jesus and him enduring the weight and the shame and the pain and the harshness of the cross and being laid in that tomb and rising on the third day. All of that is validated every time somebody says yes to Jesus. And my prayer this week is we feel that weight. We feel that weight, what's going on in the spiritual realm, so that as this Easter approaches, that we send shouts throughout heaven, that we see people get saved like never before. Listen, it's been amazing to see how God works. And I love to see that, to celebrate baptism. There's nothing magical about that water. That's just plain old Fort Worth water. But what it represents is our celebration of what's already happened in heaven. And my goal as a church is for us to keep our hands wet with the waters of baptism because it means we as a church are celebrating what's happening in heaven. And so I'm asking you to take all your expectations. Listen, listen, this last year, we have had to, we've gone to school on being disappointed and trying to set expectations and having those go this way and go that way. And listen, I'm just asking you to lay that before Jesus. I'm asking you to take your cloak of expectation, the cloak of hope, the cloak of whatever you're wrapping yourself in for your own security. And I'm asking you to lay that before Jesus. And just like the owner of this donkey, you say, it's yours. All I have is yours, Jesus. You use it however you need to use it for you to receive the fullness of your glory. And I'm grateful I get to be a part of that. Father, we love you and we thank you so much. We thank you for for your will and your ways because they're above ours. Jesus, thank you for not giving in to our expectations because you see the bigger picture. You're doing a work that's of eternal value. We submit to you. We lay ourselves before you, not just our expectations and our hopes and our security and our comfort and all of these things that we want. We lay ourselves as a living sacrifice on your altar. May we be a living sacrifice as our spiritual act of worship. And we lay ourselves before you and submit and say your ways are higher. And we come to you this moment, the beginning of Holy Week, and we thank you that you rode in. We thank you that you're still riding into our life. And we praise you for that because you bring salvation. You bring hope. You bring a deeper purpose to our life. So God, we just lay it out before you. And we say to you, our only expectation is for you to use us for the fullness of your glory and to accomplish your purpose. For your great name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at